GM friends, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corners brought to you by Navic. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm uh, hosting you today, and I'm joined by Chris Clay, the game director at Gods Unchained, and Alex Takei. And today we're doing a deep dive into Gods Unchained as a blockchain game, comparing it to the other blockchain games out there, seeing what we can learn from a game that is more sustainable than what we see most of the time. Um, and so, yeah, the, the context is Alex wrote a fantastic deep dive, which either is out now on the Navic website or will be out very soon. Um, and so you can you can dive in there. But this is, you know, us having an open conversation about this, uh, see what we can learn and having more philosophical discussions about what blockchain brings to games, um, sustainable games, uh, etc. So Alex, why don't you take the floor, give us a brief introduction about yourself, tell us about, you know, what you learned, the piece that you wrote, why you wrote it, um, and then we can go from there. Sure. Um, it's great to be here. Awesome. Uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Um, as uh, Nico stated, my name is Alex. Um, I am currently a um, Stanford MBA um, in between years one and two. And I have background in the gaming industry um, at Blizzard Entertainment, working on titles like Overwatch, Hearthstone, and Diablo 4, as well as some partnership experience and um, indie studio experience at a studio called System Era Softworks. Um, the impetus for sort of writing this piece was that throughout my past semester at Stanford, I've been working on a macroeconomic project analyzing the transition between Web 2 to Web 3 economies. Um, and in that project, I actually ended up playing a lot of Gods Unchained. Um, particularly for me, it was appealing because I've been an avid TCG player my whole life. Um, I played a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! on the Dueling Network as a child growing up, um, rest in peace, and um, a lot of Hearthstone, um, and also LOR. I'm a platinum player in both games, um, but you know, so moderately okay. And for GU, um, I was really surprised and stunned as to the level of depth there was in the actual game itself. Um, I think this is very um, counterintuitive to many of the crypto games that I'd been seeing that were more web-based instances. Um, and this compelled me to do the write-up on uh, Gods. So took a deep dive into the gameplay, some of the innovations versus other Web2 TCGs, um, as well as its economy and its crypto on-ramp and marketplace. So, Fantastic. Um, can you start us off with where you think the main innovation lies? Like how does... Gods, Unta Gods Unchained differ from other TCGs. Um, what's the main difference there? Yeah, sure. So I think um, just to back up a little bit, TCGs usually have um, a couple of layers of complexity. I would say that Gods is basically a mid-core TCG. The reason for why I say this is that there's um, in games like Yu-Gi-Oh! and LOR, there are effects called chaining, which basically means that the turn instance card effects resolve, but players are allowed to react. So the terms, the turns are actually not separated. Um, Gods is like Hearthstone, where you basically play all your cards in the field, and you end your turn, and then the next player goes. This really kind of like separates the actions and basically allows a player to basically only pay attention on their turn. Um, so I think just to establish the fact that Gods is kind of like in the simpler level of um, TCG card games category. Um, and then comparing that across to something like Hearthstone, um, I would say that Gods has a, you know, some of the innovations are the following, right? Um, there are um, hero power selections. Um, right now, Gods, there are six Gods that you can play. Um, and each God has three hero powers that you can change based on your matchup. Um, I think 
found this to be particularly interesting because in a game like Hearthstone, as a hunter, your hero power always does two face damage. Um, whereas in um, Gods, you can essentially choose to do th one of three. Um, I think this helps avoid systematically bad matchups um, that often happen in TCGs where certain hero powers just do very well against other hero powers. Um, there are also some pretty cool features in terms of the mana wheel, um, which is a little bit more logarithmically based versus linear. Um, so the early game is a bit slower, but the late game, um, the mana wheel you earn in three parts, which I think allows for players to basically play really big cards, but it also stalls out the late game. Um, obviously, Chris is on here and he's you know a game designer, which I'm not, um, and he can explain some of the impetuses for that sort of design change. But I found that to be particularly clever, um, as well as a feature called the Sanctum, which is basically a um, set of three cards that um, are randomized that players can kind of claim based on these points that they pick up throughout the game. Um, in my belief, it's an attempt to essentially give um, favor to players um, who are either losing um, and can augment their deck in a way that helps them win with cards that weren't initially in their original deck. Really interesting. So for the moment, you haven't used the words blockchain, or at least not in when you were talking about the game itself. Chris, first of all, welcome back. You know, Glad to be here. We missed you. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Um, I had a lot of fun talking to you, a lot of insights talking to you. Um, the, I, I checked and it was live in, in um, February, but it feels like it's, it's it a year ago. It feels like a so, year ago. Um, yeah, that's so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my question to you is, um, Alex just described a bunch of you know gameplay mechanics about the TCG itself. How influenced are gameplay decisions for you knowing that you're building on the blockchain? Are these completely two separate things or do they influence each other? Uh, they do twine together. So some of them, not so much. So when you talk about like the, uh, the mana system and, uh, some of that was to, uh, to stall out the later game and you have, you know, those high mana cost cards be very impactful. And, and in some ways, game enders, like when you get to nine mana cards, we kind of want those to be something that you have to answer. They should end the game, but we don't want that to happen on turn nine necessarily. Um, so not as big an impact there, but the sanctum in particular, uh, a lot of the like the impetus behind creating it was in terms of balance. So uh, with Gods Unchained having cards be on the blockchain, uh, many of them we we ship them, we balance them, and then we lock them. And once they're locked, we can't change them. There are some parts of the game that are unlocked basically in perpetuity. The welcome set and the core cards, we have said, hey, we're going to use these as balance levers moving forward. Expect that they can change. But what the Sanctum allows us to do is have another factor on balance overall. So we haven't really had to do it hyper-aggressively, but at times uh, it's like, hey, the meta is sick right now. We can't necessarily address this just through balancing the cards themselves, but we can balance it through the Sanctum. So if let's say one particular deck becomes toxic uh, to the overall health of the meta, we can put cards into the Sanctum that help fight against that particular uh, meta, thus sort of bringing things back into balance to an extent. Serves some of the same purpose of sideboarding, but live, rather than you know between matches, putting new cards into your deck, you can sort of make these decisions along the way. You know, there's some strategy along it too of Sometimes it's actually buying the cards in the Sanctum that would be good for your opponent and making sure they don't get them rather than the ones that are uh, best for you. Um, yeah. 
And then, you know, the God power is actually very similar on the balance front. It's uh, you know, just having that singular God power, it's harder to balance. Uh, and uh, giving players that meaningful choice at the start of the game, being like, hey, I'm up against you know, a particular God. I know that my deck needs help. I can do that you know, through picking a God power that's most suited. Flip side of it, it's also a place for a player to make another mistake. Uh, so, you know, one of the big challenges with TCGs is the onboarding. Even with sort of a, a more mid-core uh, TCG like Gods Unchained or Hearthstone, there's a lot to learn. And that's sort of the trade-off of it's given us an additional balance point. It gives players more control, but it is one more decision to make. And until you get comfortable with it, yeah, it adds a little bit more complexity overall. So, yeah. if, I, if I understand you correctly, Chris, because you let players own the cards, like truly own the cards that they have in their deck, it limits you in balancing those cards because you can't, cannot sell them a card or have them buy a card and then change it afterwards. So you need to add extra layers of strategical decision-making within the game where you as a game designer can actually, you know, inf like or balance um, when, when the meta gets problematic. Um, yep. But that then as a result has that the onboarding flow and the whole game becomes more complex because it's not just the cards that you own. There's also some stuff happening on the side. Um, it's really fascinating. And so you mentioned onboarding. Alex, can you talk us through, you know, you started with Gods Unchained from scratch. Um, you know, in, in the piece, you mentioned that you had already set up Wallace before. Um, but what was the on onboarding flow for you? And um, how long did it take before you saw the words blockchain and, and you need to have a wallet? Um. I think to answer that question candidly, I think that's kind of tough because I already knew ahead of time that it was a blockchain mm -hmm. game. Um, so I think at least for witnessing the blockchain, knowing that it had a blockchain component, I knew from the get-go, even when I initially downloaded the client. Um, however, I think that the only reason why I think I discovered that there, that the only reason why I would have discovered it without knowing it prior um, would have been when I said, hey, I've been watching somebody play this um, this aggro light deck. How can I get those cards? I don't. I've never seen these cards before. Um, or I I want to play a regen druid deck. Where do I get this panther? Um, and I think that's where a player would have discovered that they can basically go and buy these unique cards. Um, and then they would have discovered that they needed to have the wallet onboarding. Um, and 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 basically on ramp currency through a centralized exchange and then bridge it across to Immutable X somehow. Um, for me specifically, I had already had MetaMask installation from my Axie Infinity journey, um, so I was kind of already halfway there. Um, but in terms of actually transferring over a substantial amount of Ethereum into um, Immutable X, I definitely ran into some challenges. Um, I ended up actually going through a third party. Uh, site called Token Trove to eventually trans transfer over all of my Ethereum because the Immutable X interface actually just wasn't working for an unknown reason. Um, and I think Chris has some comments on this in terms of how that's actually been a really cool solve that a third party can come in and help some of the mitigate some of the challenges. Um, but uh, I think it probably took me around four or five hours to actually figure out how to send my currency across to um, to Mutable X. And then in terms of actual card purchasing, um, you know, it, it took me probably about twenty to thirty minutes to buy a full. 30 card deck um, and transact across in, in the actual marketplace itself. 
Chris, you want to elaborate a bit on the, the challenges yeah. and, and but also the, the advantages of, of the crypto there? Yeah, so and like this is where it goes from deep dive into teardown. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think Alex summarized some of the, the challenge of the space in that, uh, you know, in a more traditional sort of Web2 game, it's uh, you've got those systems that are more embedded and likely when we're onboarding you, we're giving you some of the premium currency, you know, for free so to speak, uh, or making that onboarding easier with, uh, you know, sort of like a, a cheap bundle uh, to sort of kickstart things. Uh, it's much more difficult on the blockchain side of things. And that's, I think it's one of the key challenges in the space right now. And, you know, though we make you know, strides forward making it easier, even those uh, can be challenging at times. Like, it used to be that you would have had to, the only way to get, uh, you know, like Ethereum uh, ETH into Immutable X would be to you know buy it on a Coinbase, transfer it out to your MetaMask, MetaMask, you know, transfer into Immutable X. You know, now there are things like you can use a credit card and MoonPay, but even that is challenging with a pretty high amount of like KYC in the process. And I've gone through it and had it succeed, and then I've gone to use it again and had it fail. So still, you know, not hundred percent. And some of what we need is for players to have these things you know, be highly reliable. It's something we're working on. Um, on the other side of it, you know, one of the things. Like you asked the question earlier of like, does blockchain make it easier or make it harder? And full stop, blockchain makes it harder. Um, a lot of these systems don't exist. Uh, a lot of like how you make these economies sustainable, like the true learnings are happening now. Um, part of why I got into the space though was my deep roots, if you go back, God, almost three decades at this point, which is embarrassing. Uh, is in the modding community. And one of the things I've always seen with the blockchain space as a huge opportunity is the ability for other people to mod on top, uh, you know, particularly in the meta systems. And this is a place that we've definitely benefited from in that uh, like Token Trove as a place to go purchase cards, uh, Geodex sort of associated with Token Trove. Like I can go to Geodex, find a deck I want, you know, click a buy now button. It takes me over to Token Trove. And instead of taking 25 minutes to make the purchase, kind of wraps it up all into one. And the fact that you know somebody else in the space can see the need and build it before we've gotten to it, uh, I think is fantastic. Um, also a frustration at times when we're like, well, maybe we should have done it first. But uh, you know, uh, it's it's an opportunity that you don't necessarily have. Like you know, if there's a, a challenge with uh, you know, purchasing in like EA Sports, nobody else is going to come along and uh, provide an alternate path to it. So um, you're not alone necessarily in the Web3 space uh, in a way that you you often are in Web2. But the flip side of it, man, some of the hurdles are real hurdles. And I think Alex's <laughs> experience here speaks to, you know, like, who are our players? In many cases, it's you know, people actually, I would say, like myself, who are willing to, like, beat your head against a brick wall to get through all of these challenges to sort of get to the meat and potatoes of what's going on. And once you get through it, there's often like this sort of associated sense of accomplishment. And for people who thrive in that realm, it works. And for others, you bounce off it. So, you know, when it comes to, to like the overall funnel of people getting into uh, a game like ours in Web3, you see more attrition at each of those stages in the funnel because uh, there are more obstacles. And it's something that everyone in the space is working to improve. So that was, that was a lot. <laughs> It's really good. Um, 
I, I can like suddenly hear some of the frustrations that you've been having over the years. And I can now imagine myself, Chris Clay, three years ago, a generous big head of hair. And now, you know, lost quite, quite, a, quite a lot of it. Yeah, just, I had a lot uh, of white uh, in the last couple of years, uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, and man, there are things that if I could go back to the starry-eyed uh, young man who started in a blockchain and tell him, uh, I definitely would. <laughs> What are what are some of these things? I'm very curious. Don't do it, or do uh, no, these I would definitely do it. Like I have absolutely no uh, no regrets, um, and yeah, that's a, a podcast in and of itself. But uh, I think you know a few of the key learnings for me were are, are along the lines of like the game matters, and I think that's something that particularly in this bear market is going to serve us well. Um, you know, even like numbers are always hard to come by, but looking at the attrition in uh, games in the space that I would sort of put dangerously close to the, the Ponzi side of things, like much higher attrition than we're seeing uh, at the moment. Um, and like a fundamentally good game will stand the test of time. And I still think we have things to do to get our, ourselves all the way there. But I think at its core, there's real gameplay there. And... Um, yeah, if I could echo that, even looking at the past data over the past couple of months, right? When you're looking at your DAMA ratios, which I think we do in traditional Web2 gaming is a sign of stickiness, right? Uh, the the DAMA ratios for gods is still around like 20%, which is really not that bad for a PvP game. Is it at the level of maybe like a premier AAA title, um, PvP title? Perhaps not, but like, you know, certainly it is definitely not underperforming. Um, and I think that that's probably a testament to the fact that there's actually some substance there. There is actually some sort of fun joy that actually that people actually derive from playing playing this game, right? Whether or not that's because Gods does away with some of the implosion and randomness that Hearthstone has, um, you know, and it's also, you know, that's implosion isn't one of the reasons why Artifact failed, um, you know, where it has a little bit more control, right? But it also isn't as tight as Gwent, where the number one player, like, always wins no matter what, because it's such a high skill cap game. Um, you know, it's in that middle of ground, which definitely has an appeal and has a, there's an audience for that. Um, and so I think that that's a huge part of why this game has survived for so long, um, even though it may not have the token value that's tantamount to something like you know, a sandbox or an, an Axie Infinity. But yeah, like, I mean, and the flip side of that is, like, obviously, you know, games are kind of my thing. I've been doing this for a while. And they're important. But particularly in this early era of uh, Web3, they weren't the most important. In fact, I think a lot of projects that have never shipped uh, anything playable have done far better than us uh, in terms of, like, token performance, uh, NFT performance. Uh, and again, this is going to be long-term. Did we make the right call? Uh, because... We've solved some of the other things on the the scaling side and whatnot. Uh, we ha are a more accessible game in many ways, but you know, if I could go back, it would be like, "Hey, dude, you know the gaming stuff. Yes, put it, put the effort in there, but you got to focus on the Web three side of things." Uh, and you know, we're behind uh, on some of our meta systems that you know we're we're, we're putting in the work uh, to catch up on, but we're playing catch up uh, because a lot of that early focus was on the game. And yeah, biggest thing would be like, I know you're here to learn about Web3, but you got to learn faster than you did, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because once you catch up, the rest of the field is already, you know, a few months ahead of you. So um, things go fast. I'm very curious, Chris, you talked about the funnel and that there's multiple steps and it's harder to get through. Do you see some kind of 
sunk cost fallacy where pl where players you know who went through the funnel and had to do the effort have higher retention rates than you would see within web two games so yeah that's always tricky like how do you measure stickiness um i think what you would find with a game like gods unchained is uh D1, D7, D30 were not as solid as uh, some Web2 games that I've worked on. But once people, like, even, like, if your D1 is not good, and our D1 is not necessarily great, that's where we see, like, some of the biggest fall off. Like, all of those others are going to be lower. But I think what you see is, like, after that first initial drop-off, like, if we can get people to day three, like, there's this crossover point where usually by that point, players kind of get it. And some of it too is like, if we can go get people to participate in their first weekend ranked, uh, they get some rewards out of that. Again, stickiness uh, goes way up. And you know, kudos to some of the people in our community who may or may not be listening to this. But when it comes to those long-term, you know, really engaged players, uh, I think in... GU, we've got far more of those than I've experienced uh, in the past, particularly with like the scale of like uh, WoW and Mao that we're looking at. Uh, once people get really in, uh, they do get really in. How much of that is sort of like sunk cost? And they're like, well, I've invested this. I can't necessarily uh, get out. I don't necessarily think it's that. Uh, but I do think some of it is the uh, in the Web3 space, the players have more influence on what we're building than they did in Web 2. Um, you have some of the Web 2 mentality, and look, I've had this attitude myself. It's like the worst thing a player can do is be like, I'm not going to spend any more money on you. And like, you know, devs at times can be like, oh, oh no, you know, goodbye. <laughs> um, you know, like in, in a Web 3 space, like it can be like, hey, I'm a, a, a I've got my collection. I'm going to go list it all. Uh, I can drop NFT values. I can drop, you know, token values. And I can go influence other people who can do the same. I can rally around in a meaningful way that my leaving can have far more of an impact. And again, like, how does that make Web3 more? Like, it makes it more difficult as a developer. But you get, I think, more of a shared commitment to, to the product where, uh, you know, one of the things I always say about communities, there's a fine line between sort of love and hate. And uh, I think that's even more true in the Web3 space where people are really invested. And when they're happy, they're happy. And when they're angry at you, they can be more angry at you. But again, long term, I've seen it as more of a shared just commitment to the game uh, and seeing it succeed, which I've enjoyed. Yeah, that is definitely one of the things that I've tried to at least convince some of the um more Indian traditional developers that I talk to um, on a day-to-day -day basis about how there is some that kind of alignment, right? Instead of actually having to, um, you know, convince a player once and trap up their value, right? It's a long-term commitment in the sense that, like, oh, I, you know, I, I do, I can only have like nine hundred dollars stuck in Hearthstone, maybe more, right? And I, and I can't do anything with that. Um, and I love Hearthstone, and they've done a great job to me and my, my community and etc. But by gosh, sometimes I really wish that like I really want to try this other deck, but I do not want to spend another $200 to somehow build up a Paladin collection, right? Actually, as a matter of fact, the um, the, the Rogue class is my dump class. So basically, I, I burn down all my Rogue cards, all the legendaries, no matter how good they are, 
Togwaggle burned, right? Because I don't, I can't afford it, right? And in this kind of situation, right? Like I could ostensibly try and swap and sell my cards. And so is it always working? Not, maybe not. But I think that you have an actual opportunity to do so and you can find somebody on the other side of that trade. I think there there can be more sunk cost fallacy in the Web 2 space than there is in Web 3. Uh, because, mm. you know, for you know, even myself uh, as game director, like I put some real money into MTGA myself. Uh, some of it is, you know, like we have this commitment to play it for real. Like we're not going to give everyone, you know, tons of gems just to, uh, like you got to go feel the economy. And then it's like, man, if I don't keep playing, I can't keep up and then I'll have to pay even more. So I kind of have to keep going and keep on the treadmill. Um, versus, you know, in a Web3 space, ultimately, if we're not doing what you think we should be doing, like you can't exit. And it's actually a viable op- option to recover some of those costs that you've uh, put in in both time, you know, m- money or otherwise. So I think there may be a little bit less stickiness in terms of sunk cost in the Web3 space, if you really look at it. That's really interesting. It feels like you're saying that's both on the technical end, if you don't execute to perfection, others, because the blockchain is open, others might do it for you. And so you might miss out on, on, on a few, like a little bit of margin there, right? If, if someone else makes a marketplace that's better than yours, they're going to grab some of the, of the revenue. Um, and in terms of the game as well, you're essentially just making it more competitive for yourself, forcing yourself to be better because your community has so much impact on what you do. Um, so, you know, in its essence, if you're sure that you can build the best game, this is probably a way to go. You're just making things harder, but I guess the upside potential is, is larger. I'm ecstatic when we've got people like Token Trove, you know, out in the space because I'll happily give up, you know, the percentage in you know fees they're taking and the you know what we're sending over in terms of shared uh, revenue on packs for referral fees. Uh, they are making the overall experience better, and uh, I love that in this environment. Uh, they, they can benefit from that uh, without me having to go consult, you know, dozens of lawyers uh, and, you know, corporate headquarters on like, hey, kind of want to like share with the, these people because they're doing good stuff. Uh, so, yes, it, it does mean in some ways we're competing with other people like directly, uh, but I'll take that any day of the week. Uh, I think it just mm-hmm. makes the overall experience uh, better for players. It reminds me of an interview I saw with the CEO of Coca-Cola. It's and it's been it's a while ago, and he was asked about Pepsi, and he said he loves Pepsi because because of Pepsi and because Pepsi exists, Coca-Cola is way better than it would have been without. Um, and it feels like this is very similar, like this is happening in Web three more and more. Um, do you expect over time, Chris, that you know because as a Web three gaming company, all else being equal, you just have to be better. Because if you're not doing the best job you can, someone else is gonna, you know, come and take part of your lunch. Um, that over time we'll see that actually, like the best games from a purely gameplay perspective, and you know everything around it, will happen within Web three. What are, What are your thoughts there? I mean, my take on it in general, having seen monetization schemes change dramatically in my lifetime, from you know, growing up, everything was a direct purchase in a physical store to subscriptions to, you know, now it's mostly digital purchases of, uh, you know, games to, you know, free-to-play, freemium monetization. I, I think blockchain is here to stay as one of those options. I still think freemium is here to stay as an option. I think, you know, standalone 
uh, is here to stay as an option. I do think, though, that as the blockchain space matures, it will be more brutal. Uh, it will be uh, you know, pretty clear on the winners uh, and losers. I think the general pattern you see in almost any industry and in almost any like monetization scheme is you've got the winner. You usually have a runner-up who's competing against, so that's like your, your, your Coke and your Pepsi. And then you've got somebody who's third, and it's pretty a clear third. Uh, like, I know it's one of, it's, I think it's a Coke, but it's like, like Sprite or like no, Dr. Dr. Pepper or whatever. Like, it's like mm, some like, mm. yeah, I'll drink that. Like, that's kind of good. It's God's following. And then you have like, <laughs> like 5% of the remaining market share goes to everybody else. And I think because of the nature of blockchain, you're going to see the winner is going to win more. Uh, second place is going to be further further behind, third place even third, further behind. And that remaining chunk, I think, is going to be smaller. I think blockchain, another way of saying it more succinctly, is amplifies everything, has been my experience. Uh, your, your unforced errors are amplified. Your, you know, your forced errors are amplified. Um, you know, not many Web2 games have had $600 million you know, hacks. Like Everything gets amplified at the moment. And ideally, what we're learning... You know, in the coming you know, months and years, is how to better manage that. You know, I think we're also going to see this on the platform side. Of right now, the options on where to build are there's a plethora of them. We're going to see that condensed down over time too, um, because again, there's just it's it's going to be a highly competitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that what's also interesting about that is that I mean, I definitely believe that there will be you know a consolidation around chains and also you know in this kind of winner. Coke and Pepsi um, dynamic, but you know, hopefully, what's makes some makes a crypto game a winner is not necessarily the fact that it is a speculative vehicle to take yourself from rags to riches. Um, and I think that's one of the fears that I currently have about the genre is like when we break out, how do we break out of the fact that these types of products are constantly being rewarded by the market and the winner designation and titling is basically attributed to the fact of can I make a you know a gargantuan sum of money. Um, and I think that that is not necessarily the correct evaluatory metric that crypto games should be evaluated on. But the people that are in the space that are rewarding these products are looking for that. And I think that's one of the tough challenges uh, in terms of how we break out winners. In that which case, as we've seen, winners rotate very quickly here, right? My best way to break, make out, make it out is Axie. My next best way is now step in. My next thing is Zed Run. Um, and those things rotate very, very fast because once you hit that apex of the Ponzi, right, everything kind of, and you have that sell-off um, or inflation, et cetera, then things begin to start crashing down, right? Um, and so I think that's also a, another tough challenge. Um, again, not exactly sure how to, to solve this conundrum. Mm -hmm. but and a lot of it comes down to the, the attitude of the, the people building. Um, you know, like, like I have said in the past, uh, I've always built for longevity. You know, I've got games that have been running for over 15 years. I do expect MTGA to run for decades. Uh, and it, it, they're, they're, I tell you what, if I could go back in time, some of it's like, there's a there's that appeal to sort of burn hot, but you know that it is short term versus long term, and long term isn't always as uh, you know, immediately appealing. But if you do it properly, like uh, strong foundations pay off. Mm -hmm. And I think you know what we're talking about here. One thing that's really problematic in incentivizing developers, game makers, 
is the expectations of the market and how people get rewarded, right? Um, and I've said this, as long as people are expecting to make a life-changing amount of money by playing games, we're not through this bear market. And, you know, games that actually focus on the long term will not be able to pop out and, and catch the eye of, you know, the market and 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 people who truly want to play games for fun. Um, so that's something we'll have to, to get through. I mean, the other As, side of it is it's a huge change in, like, just psychographics. Um, when I'm playing a single-player game, you know, offline, like, the what's going on in my mind is very different from when I'm playing a freemium game. It's very different from when I'm playing a blockchain game. I think it's really important to recognize that when like ownership and you know the ability to have sort of liquid assets comes into play, like it does change uh, the motivators. And I think this is something that you know we still don't have a firm overall like clear map and understanding of. And some of like we kind of assumed like just having ownership alone would be a pretty strong motivator, and like I think overall it's really not. Um, uh, you know, it's it's part of it, but it's much more you know complex. And you know, somewhat I'm you know, like, why 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 do you engage so deeply with the community? Why do you send them through surveys? Why do you you know uh, you know, really dive in? It's uh, to understand because it adds this other element you know into the matrix. Um, and you are, there's also that side of it with anything along the lines of this. Uh, it's, you know, when you understand it, you know, you can, you can take advantage. Like, how do you build for good? Um, and that's still largely where my motivation lies. Like, uh, some of it is like, like you talk about pipe dreams. Like one of the things I would love to see is that for the innovation, uh, in gaming to move more into the blockchain space, because I think this is where, uh, people can benefit from that innovation uh, more. Like if the next genre mod, like MOBAs, comes out of blockchain, I think it will benefit those who are creating that innovation far more than if it continues to happen in the Web2 space. Uh, but yeah, that hasn't happened quite yet. And some of it is like the foundation of games isn't there yet. Like the pickings are still pretty slim uh, in Web3. I think that gets better over the course of this year uh, and into next. But uh, it's still a pretty narrow community on the whole. Most are still building. And I think I've, one of the unfortunate realities, too, of where we're at with the bear and just development capacity as a whole is uh, I don't know if there's enough development capacity for games on the planet to build all of the games that people are expecting to be built. Um, definitely not at the quality that people <laughs> like... want them to be built at. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Did I just go too dark? Uh, uh, no, Clay has come to the table. <laughs> that's what we do here, Chris. No, but I think that that's also, I think, a lot of the part why, um, you know, when we talk about metaverse tooling, right, um, there isn't enough game development talent or like professional game, game development talent out right now to build the universes that people have so far averred that they are going to build. But if you can outsource some of that development to the community, and again, then you can compensate them through the fact that the economy is based on the blockchain. I think that is an actually a really cool opportunity to maybe get some of those worlds and universes built because through mass scaling and crowdsourcing, you can actually take and deliver that. Um, I mean, we, this is a notorious problem for AAA studios of hopping yourself on a content treadmill, um, especially in PVE games when the entertainment is actually, you know, 
swamp monster battle or number five, right? As opposed to in free to play or PVP, at least you can, you know, make the other players your fun, right? Um, and in those instances, you need an army of content creators, and the content creator economy lends itself perfectly to to, to blockchain. Um, and so I'm 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 very hopeful about at least especially that side on UGC for for what blockchain can do for incentives there. Yeah, and wherever we can better align incentives, uh, you know, I think again blockchain does make that easier. The one that I'm just racking my brain on at the moment is like Alex talking about like that wallet onboarding experience. And it's like technically somebody else could basically do all of that and make it easier, but are we proper properly rewarding them if they do. And I don't think we are necessarily. So then the question is like, can we? Um, and I don't know, that's what I'm going to have to take away from this call and think on. <laughs> <laughs> My belief is, and why I'm so excited about blockchain technology as a whole is that it allows as a native layer of value transaction over the internet, a way to very granularly distribute value to everyone that added it. And so I think you'll you'll come up with a solution, Chris. Um, you'll you'll get there, or we'll get there as an industry. Certainly got to be working on it. <laughs> there you go. Um, another question: We we talked about incentives, um, and Alex, I'd like you to take the floor here. Where do you see some interesting use cases of, you know, giving value back to the player, and um, you know, sort of bribing them to do the things that you want? This is a topic we talked about two weeks ago. I think Ryan from Delphi brought it up, where you know. What a game like Axie did is they're giving back value to the player and they're incentivizing players to get their friends in or get other people in to you know buy their bags essentially and be their exit liquidity. What are some more sustainable ways this this bribing can happen? Um, what are your thoughts, Alex? Or your findings? Um, yeah, on the on the quote bribing mechanic that has I think arisen from um, incentive or introducing rather um, dual motivation systems, right? You know, winning and also getting paid. Um, I think that in, in terms of I guess getting payback for it, um, I don't necessarily, at least in gods, I don't see that necessarily happening. I don't like unlike Axie Infinity, where you're, it's not like refer a friend now get twenty percent off um, on my uh, you know purchase, etc. But I do see that it plays a big part in in terms of maybe incentivizing a variety of gods and deck play. Um, one of the big problems that has happened in TCGs is once. Once a certain meta gets stuck, you're basically stuck in that meta until the next expansion drops. So, um, you know, in the first couple of weeks, the dust is sort of settling, the developers are tuning and balancing, and then, you know, um, Control Warrior is the best deck, and everybody plays that persistently over and over and over again. And so the game gets kind of boring. Um, and so what I've seen in Gods is that... Um, uh, and this kind of gets a little bit into the weeds here, so let me just back up a little bit. But um, again, as we've, as probably some of you know, that the game is free to play, but you can mint NFTs by combining a couple of resources, usually a duplicate of a card, um, and uh, some amount of gods, the token, and then some amount of the soft currency that's earnable by play, um, which is called Flux. And a player can only be awarded Flux by running this feature called the Gauntlet. Um, and the Gauntlet, it basically works as the following. Um, I can only earn Flux by winning um, with a certain god, but only up to three times. And then after that, I can't earn any more gods. So if I 
you know, we'll walk through a very primitive example, but if I win for the first time with the death god, I get five flux. The next time I get 10 and the next time I get 15 and the fourth time I win, I get zero. And so what you have to do is rotate to the next god. Um, and this basically means that one, you have to have a collection that's a little bit larger than maybe what you might typically have in a Web 2 TCG where you might play two hero classes and that's just about it because you can't afford anything else. Um, and it also means that at the top level of meta play, if you are interested in crafting NFTs and accumulating flux, you will actually rotate through gods. Um, now, whether or not this is actually really working and it's the strong enough incentive to divert people from winning, um, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe you know Clay can share more. Um, but I saw that as being particularly persuasive. Um, I think uh, one of the examples I bring up in the in the piece that I wrote is, you know, for cloud gaming, we asked ourselves what what kind of different gaming experiences can we have? Now we can have a 1,000 person battle royale, or now we can do Twitch plays Pokemon for real, right? What is that for God? For gods, for I mean, sorry, for blockchain. Um, how does it actually influence game design and gameplay mechanics and player decision making? And I think this is one of the examples, at least in the TCG space, where I see an actual innovation that's solving a problem that Web two has with the actual blockchain technology. Yeah, and just to, yeah, I think what we've seen is because you also sort of accelerate your flux earn. So if you're playing your sixth god for the day. Uh, and you're on win three. You're you're earning the double double the amount of flux for that win that you would on your first god win three. So it's like as you sort of go through the the cycle more, you're rewarded more for it. Uh, it has definitely impacted player behavior. I think what you know, the data would uh, show, at least the last time I looked at it, is what you're seeing is people are playing, you know, maybe three gods. Uh, only a, a fairly small number are grinding through to the six. Like that's actually probably too much gameplay. Um, yeah, it is always a balance of like some people are like, hey, why can I only play 25 games over the weekend uh, and weekend ranked? And I'm like, because I really don't want you to burn out. It's not because I don't want to give you more rewards. Uh, it literally is like there are only so many times that you can engage with a product before you're just you're done. And uh, I you know, try to balance that equation of like people who are hyper engaged, you know, give them opportunities, but also sometimes you just got to be as a designer. It's like it's time to step away. Um, I, I do think that that's another side of uh, you know, like that that sort of aligned incentives. And I don't know, like think I would call it bribing, but uh, getting players to you know, do what you want. Like in the blockchain space, it's uh, there's a lot of opportunity there, um, you know, even with like uh, upcoming systems uh, like daily uh, play to earn for us, it's, you know, in the past, you know, shine fusing, for instance, it's like, yeah, yeah I can get shiny cards. They look, a, they look better. Uh, they, they let me sort of peacock a bit. Uh, but there hasn't necessarily been utility associated with it. Uh, we do want people to go in and, uh, you know, burn cards out of the system through fusing. So it's like, hey, daily play to earn. Yes, your wins will matter. Shiny, your deck's also going to matter. And all of a sudden, you know, we've got this associated motivation to not just build your deck, but I want to continue to upgrade it from there. Uh, because I think the other part of this grand experiment is, you know, we do want people trading in the marketplace. And you know, some of this, I think Alex uh, experienced, it's the challenge of liquidity. And, you know, we want, uh, you know, people out there, you know, purchasing cards on the marketplace so that people can sell them. And, you know, that's somehow we have to design these systems too, to create that sort of cyclical demand. 
Um, and you know, even for systems beyond daily play to earn, uh, some of it too is, you know, as a designer, the thing I can guarantee is that not every card in a TCG will have equal utility. Uh, some cards are going to be better than others, uh, no matter how good a designer you are. Part of being a good designer is having some cards that are better than others, which means uh, like if you want to have those worst cards economically throw, flow through the system, you have to have non-utility reasons for it. And this is when we start getting into uh, economic meta systems where I can then take those cards and then convert them into something else, be that gods, be that uh, you know cosmetics, be that you know packs. Uh, getting systems like that set up, I think, is also important. And again, this sort of leans back to like game. I'm pretty happy with where we're at. It can still be better, but we need to get these other systems online. Um, lucky we're the, a place now with you know, Mule Black's development being where it's at. You know, we're we're able to focus there. But uh, it's very important for our growth over the next uh, six months to a year is getting that system really working. Um, because when that market stagnates, it's not good for players. It's not good for us. Uh, so ultimately, it's like getting everything moving. Um, it's it, it it does harken back to like having worked on MMO RPG economies. It's very much uh, some of the same problems. You've got you know inputs in. You need to have sinks out, and you need reasons for people to interact with each other you know, through the marketplaces. So uh, some lessons learned in the past definitely carrying forward. Uh, yeah, and I can definitely echo that experience. I've definitely you know sung some of the praises of the innovations that I think God's has had. Um, but, you know, one of the frustrations that I do have as a player is that you promised me that I could sell my cards to somebody. And that's not true because nobody wants my hunting trap. Um, <laughs> I have undercut it um, on the market like a ton and it will be the first card to sell because there are 200 hunting traps um, listed on the uh, the marketplace. But you know, unfortunately, Hunting Trap is not a meta deck card right now. The kind of decks that it would be run in aren't popular, and I can't I can't sell it, right? And so I think like this idea that oh, um, we'll have this sort of pseudo interoperability because maybe the assets won't be um, exchangeable. I won't be able to use my God's card in another blockchain game because you know engine wise that might be difficult, et cetera. Balancing wise might be difficult, but certainly I'll be able to exchange it to a you know, fixed token, and then I'll be able to swap over and buy into the next game's token. Uh, I can't even, I can't really do that because, again, very similar to the same problem that you had in Web 2, um, nobody wants to buy my stuff, so I'm still basically in the same exact spot. Now, that's not true for every card, um, so it's better than it was before, but um, it's not, it's definitely not perfect. And right, we talked about some of the the solutions potentially for this is that, you know, Fortunately, I think God's has figured out what to do with dupes, right? With dupes, which is another problem that is plague that plagues TCGs, is what do you do when people have eight of the same card? Well, in God's, you can fuse them together, and then you can mint an NFT, and then you can maybe sell that. Um, you know, but if I can't sell my NFTs, what do I do with them? Maybe I could sell them back to the developer. Maybe I could dust them down and get some sort of cosmetic reward that you've made for me, whether that's a new board or a new music pack, et cetera. Um, these are all kind of solutions that, um, you know, I've been kind of thinking about on the, on the back end of, you know, what would, what would feel good to me as a player to receive um, given that I can't shift my inventory. One of the problems that I think a lot of blockchain and not necessarily only games, but 
in general blockchain projects face a day is the fact that from day one, well, the moment you issue a token, you're essentially a publicly listed company. And so you have this daunting number, this token price, that is a constant reminder of the market sentiment around what you're doing. And so Chris, you've worked on Web2 TCGs, you've now worked on Web3 TCGs. How did the KPIs that you're working towards change? And how influential is the price of gods in your decision-making um, and you know, in reflecting on how well you're doing? Like you said, uh, one of the things that I think is a little bit beautiful in a Web2 space is uh, a lot of the indicators are what I would call lagging indicators, where it can be like, hey, we found out things aren't as good as we thought they were. Maybe we shouldn't have done that thing that made everyone really mad at us. Uh, you know, some of it is you, you can get this very direct, uh, very immediate response um, in Web3 to like people really being unhappy. Uh, like you, you can see your know, token prices fluctuate, you know, shockingly in minutes um, based off of, you know, feedback. I think the other thing that makes it really challenging too is, you know, like in the, like the ethical side of things, you know, there has to be a lot more uh, checks and balances in place within the company itself. Because even as something as simple as balancing cards, like, you know, I have to go in and make sure that I'm auditing you know, the, the purchasing patterns on the cards that we're balancing. Because I got to be checking to be like, hey, somebody bought 500 of the, the hunting trap right before we buffed it. Who the hell was that? Oh, how did they know? <laughs> oh, yeah, you're, you're so and so. Like, I mean, it hasn't, like, I want to be clear, I haven't come across that yet, but it's some of the things I've got to oh, check yeah. for. Uh, because, and it, yeah, like, could. some of it too is, uh, even for myself, it's like uh, God's was down to a quarter um, you know, I guess it was almost, it feels like it was about a month ago. Who knows? Might've been two weeks. And there was that point in time where it's like, Hey, like I believe in my project. I want to go buy it up at a quarter, but there are some things coming that I know will influence the price and therefore I can't. Uh, and you know, it makes it, 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 it does. It just makes it, you know, more complex, uh, in general, but on the flip side of it, you know, on the positive, when you're doing things that, uh, you know, the overall you know, player base and market are responding well to you, you get really clear feedback on that. Um, I think ultimately, you know, for me, if you want to help me uh, you know, with some of my gray hair, it is getting uh, clear <laughs> you know, regulations in place over you know, like how these things work. Um, what are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? I know that we have moved slower on a number of the fronts, particularly tokens, to try to make sure that we're preparing these correctly for the long term. Uh, but there is still a lot of uncertainty into the in the mix there. And you know, this is the other thing that I think is uh, pretty differentiated across the space is a lot of people aren't necessarily building for the long term. So they're taking advantage of you know this sort of uncertain, you know, regulatory landscape. Um, and there are times when I'm like, man, we could have done a lot more if we hadn't been so careful. But I, I, I want you know, to be here for the long term. So uh, I'll take that uh, somewhat safer path at times. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely makes it more complex. Like I was just on a talk with uh, you know, the IGEA here in Australia. And it's one of the things that I was you know, telling other developers in Australia, it's like, hey, there's a lot of opportunity in the blockchain space, but it will make your job more difficult because I can't tell you the right answer today. I can tell you what I think, 
I can tell you what I'm building, but there's still a lot of unknowns in the space. And ultimately for me, I want other you know, good actors in the space building with me so that I can learn from them too. Um, but you know, we're not necessarily there yet. Uh, did that answer the question? It, it, it was very interesting. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that. What are some games that you're looking up to and trying to learn from? Basically all of the games in the space I'm trying to learn from. Um, I don't think there is any other game in the space right now that I would hold as the ideal. I don't think there's any one game that I would point to and being like, they're doing it fully right. Um, I don't even know that like we're actually, I know that we're not doing it fully right, uh, at the moment. Um, which is unfortunate. Like I would love it if it's just like, damn, they got it solved. Let's just go, let's go pull that. Um, it's hard though, right now, you know, particularly with the, the bear market we're in, like the one good thing for me with the bear is it is shaking the bad actors out real quick. Um, and, you know, it's one of the things yeah. that I, I feel, you know, very blessed to be at Immutable. It's like we've prepared for this. We've been through bears in the past and, you know, we're in a good position to continue building through it. Uh, but some of why the bear is interesting to me is I think we're seeing some of that shake art, you know, already happening. Um, every project, even those that fail, though, it's a learning opportunity. Uh, and some of it is there, like there are things that I can opine on. Uh, we just got out of a, a research you know, group internal where we had studied six six projects uh, and not something that I am at liberty to share. But like we're definitely doing you know, deep dives in. Um, and I do think some of the short-term win winners are not going to be long-term winners. Um, uh, and I think most people, when they look in their heart of hearts, kind of know where that's at. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm looking for the uh, the Aragorns in the space, uh, the projects that look a little foul but feel fair. Uh, I like that, love it. To um, we're we're um, reaching, we're getting up to that hour mark. As a final question, um, if you listen to my other podcasts, I like some bold predictions. Um, I like to be future looking and. Um, and guess what's going to happen? Because that also also always results in some interesting takes. Alex, for me, it intuitively feels like the TCG TCG genre is perfectly fit to live on the blockchain or happen on the blockchain, just because you know you you have these you know if you want to play online, you need to, like you need to. Well, there's this concept of owning your cards, and it just you know when you can digitally own your cards, it just makes a lot of sense. How do you see the TCG genre? in the future evolve? Do you think the majority of it will be blockchain-based or do you think it will be like kind of split because blockchain does have some implications for, mm. you know, game design and, and et cetera? Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really tough one actually um, because actually in the beginning of my uh, project, it, one of the prompting questions had been what genres lend themselves to blockchain technology? I think some of the things that I've kind of come up with in my mind was, ah, a TCG makes sense. We are... Make, we are basically ascribing the physical ownership to a digital ownership of cards. Everybody understands this. This is logical. Um, I think even games that are really idle um, actually make a lot of sense because the economy game 
isn't actually being complicated by some sort of underlying complicated mechanics of a game, right? So any kind of like idle auto battler, et cetera, you know, where someone has to learn the resource economy, but they also don't have to like learn this complicated like skill tree or in-depth mechanic system of League of Legends, right? Um, and I think those complement one another because the blockchain and the, and the economy that you're designing is already complicated enough. Um, when I think about maybe for, for TCGs specifically, um, I think that there will be a bunch of studios that try to build TCGs that are on the blockchain. There are other studios like Horizon that are building other um, blockchain-based TCGs. Um, but I think it does have implications for balance. Um, but on the other hand, right, like when we look at what's happened in physical cards, um, that's also been managed to stay alive and be you know, still played, et cetera, without being able to retroactively update cards, et cetera. You can construct rule sets that say, oh, no longer can you have two monster reborns in your Yu-Gi-Oh deck, only one. Um, and so I think that people will still go forward and work on the TCG genre um, for, for blockchain games. Um, I think it will definitely be like a bifurcated community of people who might play TCG blockchain games and people who might stay in the closed gardens of Web 2. Um, but I think that there could be some really good products that actually arrive in the TCG genre over time. What do you think, Chris? I mean, some of it is like obviously biased. I think you know, TCGs are a pretty natural, uh, like it just makes sense. Like if you've held a physical card from Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, you know, whatever, like the analog there uh, is pretty seamless. Uh, yeah, I think that blockchain actually solves a lot of the problems that physical TCGs have, uh, largely on inventory, like a platform like Immutable X. Like, doesn't matter if you're trading on Immutable X, Marketplace, Token Trove, eventually GameStop. Like, all of the back end is shared, so you know, you don't have the problem of like only this one shop in, you know, yeah, Reno, Nevada has the card that I want. Japan. Or Japan. Yeah. So like it solves some of like... like <laughs> Japan has all the cards. <laughs> why is that? Yeah. Uh, but it, it solves a lot of the challenges that you can have. I think you know, some of it like that I've been challenged on is like, hey, yeah, physical, you can only have so many things printed. Like there are limits there. Why do we have to do that in the digital space? You know, maybe Web3 is actually just recomplicating you know, what Web2 has solved. You know, the... the the, the clap back there being like, well, Web2 has its scarce and all of that too. At least uh, yeah, we've opened uh, things back up again, I think, for players. Um, I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting in this TCG space is because it makes sense. You do see a lot of TCGs coming uh, to blockchain. And this is where I think it gets the most interesting because uh, mm. physically, like, Getting people to trade in their Pokemon physical cards to me to come play my physical TCG, it's like, yes, you can do that kind of transitionally through like a, a card shop, but it's actually way easier on the blockchain side of things to like, do vampire attacks where it's like, hey, I see that your game is down because you know, they're having tech issues. Come over here, <laughs> trade in your cards. Uh, I'll take those NFTs, and we'll get you started. And like, there's some there's some interesting things there that you wouldn't necessarily see in traditional Web two, that or would be impossible there. Um, I think that's sort of like a next layer of exploration. We just don't have enough right now for it to to make natural sense. But 
some of that market dominance you get in that, like that sunk cost system, like it can be really hard to get a player who has sunk, you know, maybe at this point years of playtime into a game like Hearthstone and, you know, thousands of dollars to move because they can't take any of that with them. But in a Web3 space, they could. And uh, again, that presents a deeper challenge, but also, you know, more opportunity. So we'll see how that pans out in the end. Yeah, you you said something really interesting there, which I think is, um, you know, when I think about like some of the um, physical card games that have just done really, really well, they're usually tied to some sort of like very big IP, like a Pokemon or a Yu-Gi-Oh, right? And I think that that's what also, it lends the value there. Like your shiny Charizard has value because Pokemon has value, right? And so when we're moving forward into like the next generation of TCGs for blockchain, right? Like, you know, I, this is why I actually think Gods is actually pretty cool, or at least on the right path, right? Is that they're actually trying to build out some sort of lore and some sort of fantasy around the Gods Unchained universe, such that they could potentially create a, you know, a Warcraft-esque type IP, such that these cards could be valuable just because of the fact that they are God's Unchained Universe, right? And I think that that's really important, right? Because if you're going to have longevity, if you want that shiny Charizard to have value, by gosh, like Pokemon better be valuable. Um, and I think that's why you'd actually want to own these things, even if you didn't even play the game at all, right? Um, and so I think that's always something that'll be really interesting is like, what is the generation of Web3 TCG IP um, in terms of, uh, you know, well, and yeah. the, the other thing there is, like in Web two, you know, I think we've clearly seen that you can have franchises where, you know, they share a launcher, um, but and like there there are sort of interconnections where you know if I do something in Hearthstone, you know, I purchase something, maybe I'm getting like a Diablo three pet, uh, or my I'm getting a, a a skin in World of Warcraft or a mount, like we've seen some of these interconnections, but you know as a World like or a game like Gods Unchained expands, like I don't expect it to just be the TCG moving forward. Like as you bring those additional elements in, the opportunity for interconnections that matter between those games is much deeper than in Web 2. Um, yeah, exactly what those will be, you know, that's probably a different podcast. You know, see you guys in you know a couple of months. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there's real opportunity there. Fantastic. What I take away from this conversation is this: is that as much as putting TCGs on the blockchain just intuitively makes sense, there's still a lot of things to figure out, um, a lot of mistakes to be made, um, and a lot of you know new dynamics to get a grasp of. And so I think you know if that is already the case for games that just make intuitive sense, what does this mean for games that like either don't exist or are way more complex? Um, and so you know. I'm I'm happy because well, I'll have stuff to talk about over the next uh, years, you know, because there's so much more to learn. So uh, that's a great thing. Um, uh, yeah, Alex, Chris, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I think our listeners did too. So uh, I want to thank you both for taking the time to be here to share your insights, your deep research. Um, so Alex, your piece will come up on the Navic website, either already or soon. I, I think I might want to have this go live next week so it might not be on there but it will be it will soon be and i highly recommend you checking it out um chris yeah i would say listeners go play gods unchained and you know you can hear that how passionate he is about the long term how much he thinks about the long term so um yeah i think um it's only upward from here for that uh not the token but the game yeah uh, that would many be thanks sure. to alex for the the teardown uh it is really appreciated 
There you go. We learn. Yeah, of course. We break down and, Thanks, we, and we learn from each other, right? Fantastic. All right. So, listener, thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this. If you did, feel free to give it a like or a thumbs up. Um, if you want to have more insights, like the piece that Alex has written but will come live, um, you can subscribe to Navic Pro with the code Metacost. You get 10% off. Um, yeah. And with that, the Metacost is out, and we look forward to see you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.